Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast, podcast with Rob McLeod and Brendan O'Leary, where we look at this idea of three types of school. Today, Brendan, you and I are launching the counselor-centered approach to education season here on the show, and we're going to try and compare and contrast what makes the progressive or counselor-centered approach to education different from the mainstream or coach-centered, which is... Uh, the mainstream coach center being what we've just focused on for the last like two calendar years, we're launching into our exploration, the inquiry of the counselor or progressive approach to education. And today comparing the two and looking at how the counselor approach solves some of the problems of the previous coach centered approach. So today looking at the unhealthy side of the coach side of education and how the counselor side uh, brings in some solutions to that. Yeah, correct. We've spent a whole bunch of time saying a lot of nice things about what a coach-centered mainstream approach brought to the world, organized curriculum, accountability, and oversight, and uh, differentiation, and great things such as this. But along the way, we've also pointed out many of the, what we call bathwaters, many of the things that don't necessarily sit right with consideration in this kind of approach, the model. And so kind of the next model along becomes this this counselor centered progressive approach. So yeah, let's have a look at some of the some of the drawbacks of the coach centered model and and how the counselor centered approach aims to fix some of these. These would be the what we call the babies, the good things about the progressive counselor centered approach. Of course, it will bring its own bathwater, its own issues. Every system, every model will. However, let us begin. And so, one of the things that we we've, we've criticised or that, that people um, see as a, a drawback of the coach-centred approach is sometimes the responsibility or the accountability for the development and growth of students, particularly when you look at um, achievement in terms of test scores and, and credentials. Some a lot of that responsibility gets passed on to teachers shoulders, especially when the test scores of their students get uh, directly related to pay increases and another benefit, i.e. bad scores for your students could lead to bad consequences for you as a teacher and could mean that the people taking the test are actually less responsible and have fewer consequences in the short term, at least, of not getting good scores on their test. So as we move over to the counselor-centered approach, we drop the emphasis on standardized test scores and the associated consequences that Brennan was just highlighting there. And instead, the counselors share the responsibility and the aims with the focus on the individual student. And uh, we kind of create our accountability from there. And again, as we'll say many times in this episode, we're not saying that these negatives are what you see in every single mainstream coach-centered approach. It is just uh, at certain times there are criticisms of things that we do that we do come across. And another one is that school sometimes becomes self-referential and bureaucratic, box ticking as each new standard and aim is met. And the only meaning that is gathered from this is, is one for the institution. The only real job in this negative view is that school is to get you ready for the next grade, not looking at longer term growth, not looking at a more holistic growth or how meaningful and useful the things are, but you're just, you're studying things in fourth grade because they're going to be on the fifth grade curriculum. One of the analogies that we use for this is like an arcade analogy, 
or you might be playing different games and your success and your score on those arcade games, you know, the rubber duck fishing, all these kinds of things, you're rewarded with these tickets within the arcade system. And within the arcade, you can do a lot with them. You can go buy stuffed animals. But those tickets or those tokens within the arcade, as soon as you leave the fairgrounds or leave the arcade, those are useless elsewhere. And this is one analogy of the unhealthy side of this coach approach is yes, there are grades and there is success within school itself, but that success does not necessarily translate as soon as you leave the walls of the school building. It's not actually exchangeable for something tangible in the real world outside of the school. We hear the why are we learning this kind of idea? Because um, you'll need it next year. Exactly. How do we solve this then? What does the counselor-centered approach bring? Yeah, so the counselor side brings community and personal meaning. These are the things that influence what is learned. So we're not starting with what you have to do because it's coming next year, but rather what do you need now? And it becomes about students' needs over institutional needs in terms of what is meaningful. And then if we flip back to some of the negatives of the coach-centered approach, the, there's a monoculture of curriculum sometimes. It's seen as a very standardized. You look at uh, the national curriculum in England, it doesn't matter whether you are in the North and the South. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic or cultural background is. It is standardized. Now, there's positives for that, of course, but the idea that this over-standardization where everybody gets the same curriculum doesn't necessarily leave a lot of scope for individuals to inquire or to individual teachers even to go into things that are of interest and importance to their class. And so one example that came to me uh, when I was a teacher back in England was the, you know, my kids, quite a few of them were really into things like Spider-Man and superheroes, and it wasn't possible to just have an inquiry or do a project. Of course, you can sneak in 20 minutes here to draw some Spider-Man pictures or whatever, but to do an actual project on these characters, you have to do a little bit of mental gymnastics to fit it in and find the standards on the curriculum that match this idea. And so we, of course, you come up with some good ideas. We did a project on heroes, but it was far less focused on Spider-Man than the actual student would have wanted to. For better or worse, we can get into the pros and cons of that. But the fact is that I did have to do that. I had to go and find curriculum standards that match to the things that the students were interested in rather than the other way around. So if we switch over now to the counselor approach, what does it bring that kind of solves this problem, the monoculture of curriculum? That actually brings, you could argue, like a biodiversity of curriculum. It's like living. It's coming from the individuals who are involved and brings about a lot of diversity. So it moves beyond this idea of standardization and rather moves towards community needs over pre-written curriculum needs or institutional needs. You know, with the coach approach, it's kind of like you need to fit your interests and learning, you know, into the, the box of the curriculum. Whereas the counselor approach says, no, 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 we start with the people and what do these people need? And we'll work out from there. So of course, we're bringing in student voice, we're bringing in student agency in terms of their consent and their input and their willingness to pursue some kind of educational program or path emphasizes what students want and need to do 
while at the same time including their community's needs. All of these points have a lot of nuance and a lot of um, approaches and perspectives that we need to kind of take a look at. And as we get into the season proper and we break down all of these things, we will get into the kind of details, the pros and the cons of all of these parts. But hopefully you can see the very different approaches that each of these two models brings. So another way that the the coach-centered model sometimes is seen as, as failing students is that the idea that learning can become just data and numbers are what become important and not the people behind the numbers. And moving on from that, only data-driven actions are of importance. So only things that we get from looking at the tables and charts and scores drive us to take action. Uh, anomalies, individual ideas and, and needs are sometimes seen as less important. We will get into differentiation and special needs, of course, but the anomalies are sometimes pushed to one side in, in terms of looking at sets of data. And one kind of path this can lead you down is that only measurable things are of importance. And, and that affects what we do, especially standardized test scores, but pretty much in a data-driven system, it becomes reductionist. And so only things that we can measure are of importance. But there's a lot of things out there in the world that are more abstract and much more difficult to find out how to measure them, purpose, meaning, personal, holistic growth, the success of the things you are doing now in the future, far, far more difficult to measure. So we fall back into easy answers, uh, data, standardized test scores. Yeah. Looking from this coach approach, we have this system, we have this curriculum, we have these models, we have our ways of measuring our success, and we bring the students into it, and they have to conform to it. Whereas with the counselor approach, the individual as a unique person is considered, and you don't have to conform to us. In fact, anomalies are not inconvenient. Rather, anomalies are welcome and embraced. You don't have to shave off parts of yourself or over magnify parts of yourself to fit into this approach. And it moves beyond numerical assessment and ranking into purpose and reflecting on what is important. And this is an ongoing reflection and uh, something that's assessed holistically, not in some kind of reductionist way, by taking into account as many aspects as possible, focusing on meaning and purpose. Yeah, and a lot of the things we talked about in the Illich episode, which is on this idea particularly of measuring growth. It's a really interesting topic, and we will definitely be coming back to it a lot during this season. If we flip back over to the coach-centered approach, again, a deficit can be seen as that Although feedback might be given to students, often in grades and test scores, but but sometimes more specific, you know, there are feedback sessions within this model, but it is mostly given from the coach, teacher, directly to the student. Whereas in the counselor side, you've got this counselor relationship happening and feedback is specific to the individual needs and comes much more in terms of a balance between the student themselves giving their own feedback and reflecting on things as well as the teachers. So it's kind of like co-created feedback on these co-created goals. Back in the coach-centered approach, criticism can be that a focus on only a small set of institutionally chosen goals, sometimes directed by policy, government policy, or local education aims. And often they do relate to credentialism and test scores, standardized testing. Again, we'll say we're looking for the bad examples. There's so many good examples of things that the coach-centered model has brought, but we're focusing now on why 
the counselor-centered approach is even viewed necessary. And one of them is is specifically this, you know, SAT SAT tests that happened at the end of year six. Year six is the last year of primary school. And so these test scores are very, very important. Uh, they're used to rank schools and compare and, and head teachers' jobs are on the line sometimes with them. It's not unusual to remove art classes, to tone down the number of P classes. Uh, any kind of project work might be viewed as taking away from test prep and specific tutoring given to kids that are on this threshold of about 70 odd percent, which is the difference between a level three and a level four. And a level four is a good thing and viewed as a success for a school. These things do happen and they narrow the school's aims and they narrow what education could be. And they actually go against the underlying principles of the coach-centered approach, which is to give a, a wide range of opportunity and to push people in all of them. But we do see this narrowing. Yeah, and within this coach approach, again, this, you know, sort of being the worst side of it, all of these focuses are coming top down institutionally, dictated by government policy, dictated by head of school policy, dictated by, you know, classroom teachers, kind of the top of like uh, the chain of command here. Whereas in the counselor centered approach, go back to episode 97, where we looked at the school circles documentary, like a sociocratic organizational structure that's used to jointly establish the goals. So things like, you know, consent circles, there needs to be a structure to define and redefine what our goals are. And, you know, this is very broad and it's the community itself that's forming the goals. It's not policy or someone else outside of the context setting what is important and meaningful for that group. Yeah. And so then we see clearly in, in the coach-centered approach, a focus on measuring over learning when when it comes to the crunch when when you're under pressure measuring and getting decent scores and good scores on your test and that summative assessment that end when all this, the learning is done the summative test and the score that you get on that is all judgments are made and very specific data points can sway you know we look at a maths test that only has one division question if you've studied five different aspects of division, only one of them pops up on the test. That's suddenly that one data point has got so much more sway um, over the other elements of that, even that one type of math. And so the focus then becomes on knowing what's going to be on the test and how to get a better score on that. So that measurement, that score takes precedent, ironically, over the learning. In the counselor-centered approach, the learning is more important than measurement. So rather than a focus on summative assessment, so that kind of coach approach of how well did we do, there's more emphasis on formative feedback or formative assessment. How are things going along the journey, along the way? And we check like whether or not, you know, this is fit for the purpose. Is this meaningful? And we look at reflection rather than final judgments. Got a feeling that word meaningful, Rob, is going to is going to have some meaning as we move into this counselor-centered world. Kaching. Yeah, it's probably the word we'll come back to the most. It seems to be the organizing principle of this counselor-centered approach. Yeah. One of the other drawbacks cited, and again, many good things, but one of the drawbacks cited is that sometimes teaching and learning becomes gamified in a in 
many different ways. So in its simplest way, you get this idea of edutainment where, you know, you kind of have some fun activities, some fun videos, songs and games, and that kind of almost tricks someone into learning. Not in itself terrible, but the more nefarious side of this becomes when you manipulate your the data and the strategies for a specific outcome. So one example of this is people realize that a student who had an IEP, an individual education plan, that means they had some kind of identified special need. They would be given some extra time or some other accommodations for a test. And so there is an element where people will try to get more of these IEPs in place, these individual education plans, so as to get a student on uh, to get more time in a test. It is um, obviously the student genuinely needs this. We're supported and we're certainly not saying that teachers across the board are manipulating this, but there have been cases. There is the temptation inside systems with lots and lots of kids and lots and lots of pressure to just push a little bit more and try and get more of these accommodations for more and more students. And, and parents will play this game too within that system. I've come across stories where parents are pushing for their child to be on a special needs plan with a mostly an aim on them having an advantage in that standardized test. Again, these are dark, nefarious times and they don't happen very often, but they are part of this system. Similarly, with standardized and even non-standardized tests, teachers who will within the game of the exam um, try to raise scores now in its simplest way, that just means test prep. So if you walk in cold and you read a test, you are not going to do as well as somebody who knows the format of the questions. Is it cheating? No. Is it going to get you a better score on the test? Yes. Okay. So we're in a little bit of a gray area for sure. And then things like teachers having multiplication tables on the walls. It, there are stipulations that you have to take things like that down. And certainly in high standardized tests, external, but there's a lot of internal testing that happens where people might be tempted just to leave certain things up or to give a preparation test the day before or the week before that looks very similar to the actual test or just cough <laughs> and touch a, t a paper if a student hasn't got a question right. These are all strategies and tactics on the darker side. Certainly, again, not saying this is something that any teacher would do, but I have certainly heard that on the coach-centered side. If we switch over to the counselor side, simply put, they just have no need for all of these quote-unquote games. You know, strategies just need to be honest. You know, you're not dealing with anyone's agenda other than your own. So there's nothing nothing to try and get ahead on here with any kind of conning within that spectrum that you were just describing there, Brendan. Yeah. Well, while we're saying not nice things about the coach-centered approach, one of the criticisms is that it only gives you one real path. And yeah, sure, there may be differentiation inside the path, but at the end of the day, you're taking this particular test, this particular exam. And even for teachers, my example was that when I was teacher training, I took a more alternative approach, which was uh, schools-based. Interestingly, you do four and a half days in the school and half a day at college, which is kind of the opposite from the actual regular teacher training. It made a lot of sense to me, and it was really helpful. It is very much a second alternative. There doesn't seem to be a third approach. So 
95% of you do this, 5% might do that alternative approach. And that's it. If you want to be a teacher, and I think that mirrors very much the mainstream coach-centered approach, there's one real path. There may be some minor alternative paths along the way, but there's not going to be many. Whereas in the counselor world, there could be infinite paths. Uh, we work to connect the lives and experiences of many different people. What's, you know, what is being focused on. So, you know, there might be many different ways to have your goal or your wants, your meaning realized. And it could include perhaps one or two of those paths that the coaches have laid out, but it also might not. The idea is that you're kind of crafting your own way towards what it is that you want. Yes, yes. And you can see why that would be appealing after my 10-minute rant about gamification and you kind of summed it up with, well, we don't need to do that. We can just be honest. You can see whether that could feel like a breath of fresh air to some people. Now, this is a big one. The mainstream approach, the coach-centered approach, just came out of the enlightenment values, the idea of fairness and equality. But it's not necessarily equitable in the sense that equality, meaning everyone gets the same. Uh, equitable meaning you get what you need. Now, differentiation, like I said, helps, may, maybe makes the playing field a little bit more level. But there's pre-existing disadvantages and advantages built into the system. Socioeconomic status, geographic location, your cultural background, and so many other ways can lead to disadvantages within the system, not least of all that the standardized curriculum, we're not meeting it at the same place. Uh, even let's say something like an arts curriculum. If I'm someone who's been lucky enough to be brought up in a household with lots of arts, I've been to lots of museums, galleries, and so on. I'm not starting at the same place. It's a lighter example, sure. We're not starting at the same place. Within that, there's a cultural aspect to it. So maybe I am from a household that is very rich in arts and very rich in those discussions on those ideas, but culturally, they're very, very different. And if they don't fit in with the cultural ideas of the mainstream approach, you're not going to do as well, especially if the standardized test is based on the cultural implications of the of the mainstream. Now, again, there's a lot of nuance to this. So, you know, if you're, if you're getting all hepped up, <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll have our discussions. This third one might tick you off as well, because we do have biases and stereotypes. Now, as sensible and professional and good people, we don't want to be biased and stereotyped against any anybody. But it's the, the coach-centered system doesn't necessarily lead us to think too much about. If something is leaping out at us, an inequality or some kind of bias, we're, obviously we're going to deal with it. But we don't really spend a lot of time on thinking about it and trying to unpack all of the things that I've just talked about in terms of these disadvantages. So yeah, let's switch from coach into counselor here. You talked about equality and equity. Equity is the priority here for the counselor. We're you know, trying to work out what you need, and we're doing that together, and we aim to make that possible. So we're starting with you. What do you need, and how can we make that possible? And it obviously attempts to remove or at, at, at least minimize systemic disadvantages where possible and seeks to, to do that in a conscious manner. And this can involve implementing policies, practices that promote inclusivity, diversity, and equal opportunities. And essentially like trying to provide equal access to education, ensuring that all students 
regardless of their background or circumstances, like Brennan was mentioning, have access to quality education. And this can involve policies such as free or subsidized education, transportation assistance, and eliminating barriers to enrollment. By making attempts to remove systemic disadvantages, schools and educational institutions seek to create a more equitable learning environment where every student has an equal chance to succeed. And Brennan was touching on this a bit, the bias. You know, you're starting to see this in schools now. Schools actually have anti-bias or anti-discrimination policies, which are developed and enforced policies that prohibit discrimination based on race, ethnicity, uh, gender, sexual orientation, disability, or any other protected characteristic. And finally, culturally responsive teaching. This is something that at least in terms of widespread understanding is something that I think is beginning to emerge more and more. And that's incorporating diverse perspectives, diverse cultures and diverse experiences into the curriculum and teaching practices to create an inclusive learning environment that recognizes and values students' backgrounds. That's the big one. We're going to get to a lot a lot of nuance, but yeah, those are reasons why a culture or school might start to favor a counselor-centered progressive approach over a coach-centered. But Rob, I've been saying all the bad stuff about the coach-centered stuff now. Could we could we flip for a while and you can talk about how the coach-centered model doesn't always meet our high expectations? Yes. Can do, Brendan. So the coach-centric approach here, some more bathwater, some more of the negative things. Now, we've already talked about this idea of like a preset or one-size-fits-all curriculum, talked about the institutional aims. The one thing, though, is the coach-centered teacher, they're free to practice their own strategies to execute this curriculum and to meet those institutional aims. But that range of strategies has to kind of fall under the like efficient and effective banner. You can do what you want. You're free to do that. But the strategies you use better yield great results in relationship to this preset curriculum and the institutional aims. Yeah, as we've mentioned several times already, the, the council-centered approach works much more on, I guess, a negotiation, a discussion, a, a, and kind of trying to work out together where you're going. There isn't a set curriculum. There are not institutional aims. And the strategies are whatever we feel are going to get us where we need to go. Back to the coach for a moment. You know, one of the things that is good about the coach is clarifying and making transparent what the curriculum is. One of the challenges that this then brings is the fact that learning or topics or skills typically have like a very disciplinary focus. And I would argue shallow at times disciplinary focus. You know, for example, there might be a science or a history expectation that asks you, you know, demonstrate your learning through an essay to explain, you know, the factors that led up to World War II, for example. Well, that gets sectioned off as a history expectation, when in reality, it should also be an English expectation because, well, we're crafting like the essays here. And then you get into these blurry lines of like, okay, well, it's actually communication. And this is where I think the, uh, the counselor approach steps in. So yes, shallow disciplinary focus, perhaps the connections between ideas or points are not explicitly made to students might be in there in the curriculum itself as a document. But what gets translated to students, it might seem like all the things we're learning are in very isolated pockets and only relevant to history, only relevant to geography, 
only relevant to math, etc. Yeah, and that's dictated very much by the curriculum. And the, there's the reason why it's kept within those boundaries is because if you're doing a history test, there's going to be very little on math and sociology in there. Um, but in the real world, you you go you start digging into Roman life in Britain, which is one of the few things that we have to study in elementary school. Very soon, you're going to move into all of these areas, engineering, their types of technology, the arts, and then you end up being limited or doing a very uh, segmented project where you look at Roman hats on day one and Roman, Roman food on day two. You know, you move over into the counselor-centered approach. And the, if you've come to the point with a student that they're investigating a similar thing, a particular historical period, the transdisciplinary notion is just obvious you okay how are you going to research this are you going to research this through the arts through um, science through music through all of these things how are you going to present it again through these different mediums these different ideas what focus are you going to have are you going to focus on the sociology are you going to focus on the the engineering aspect i, I teach in an ib international baccalaureate primary school and that we have these units of inquiry and they aim to be transdisciplinary it's tricky it's definitely it's a lot easier to compartmentalize those things but uh, the aim is to open up as broad as possible that investigation across different different subjects. And if you are going to use disciplinary skills, you're going to use the broad skills that are needed for that particular part of the inquiry, not the one that is listed on your curriculum document. Yeah. And I think for this next one, we should really try and juxtapose the how of both of those. So with the coach-centered approach, you're getting an emphasis on direct instruction. You know, let's say maybe the most common structure that you might see in a coach-centered approach is something like the three-part lesson. So direct input from the teacher, time to practice that skill, students getting feedback on it, most likely in three, four, five differentiated groups in terms of that specific skill, and then some kind of like summary reflection piece at the end. And, you know, in the highest functioning coach approach, you then take whatever data you have from the end of that lesson to then inform what direct instruction and what direct differentiation you will offer in your next lesson. What would that look like over on the counselor side of the street, Brennan? Yeah, because there isn't necessarily a set curriculum. There isn't a set specific thing that you need to do in that lesson. It is very open. You have to be in the moment. You have to be able to negotiate and work through the aspects of inquiry. Now, there is still a framework. There may be an inquiry cycle or just inquiries naturally lend themselves to next steps. Okay, so you're interested in, as we said, this particular historic period. You've done a little bit of research and finding out in a variety of ways. Where are you going next with it? What's of interest? of you, what's important. It's negotiated, it's open. I think we talked about Freire when we talked about Illich's book. And one of the things Freire said is that he'd never started a lesson knowing what they were going to do. And I mean, that's a cardinal sin in the coach-centered approach. You don't start a lesson without the the roadmap of where you're going and, uh, and knowing how it connects to the curriculum and how it connects to your, your next set testing point. But the counselor-centered approach, they're not starting. Them. It is a negotiation. It is open. And the focus is on the learning and the inquiry. Yeah. And, you know, just one quick anecdote here to, you know, just show the difference in terms of these belief structures. You know, I remember a great conversation I once had with a head of school where they, you know, in passing, we were talking about something else. They said, you know, a teacher has no business 
standing in front of the class if they cannot finish the sentence, today we are learning to. If they are unable to say that before the start of the lesson, they have no business in front of the class. And I think that's a perfect summary of that coach approach. On the fly, Brennan, can we come up with, what would you say for the counselor approach? Counselor teacher has no business starting a lesson without being able to say... Children, students, what is of importance to you right now? (laughs) What is of interest to you? And they don't have to say it verbally. It can be expressed in many different ways. But the idea is that I'm walking in here, not like a a clown who's going to make something up on the fly, but like a professional educator who cares about their students, but is honest that I don't know where you need to go with your learning today. Without triangulating with you first. Without talking to you, without working it out, without having your input. Like, you know, now if you're going to an apoplexy of rage over a lack of planning and curriculum, it's like, well, what about the lack of meaning? I mean, this is when you get into person-centered approach of counseling that you might not know all of the answers, but you certainly can start to work with me on what your next steps are, your aims, your goals, where you're going, and it's going to change. None of that is within the coach-centered approach. No, your input may be valued at certain points, but no, the coach is still the person who is setting up these coaching sessions and this these lessons and knowing where you're going within the confines of the curriculum. Whether you like it or not. Well, then we get into the next one. Um, a differentiation. Ones, then where we get, well, differentiation and then wellness. So Yeah, yeah. let's tackle those maybe together. So differentiation in the coach-centered approach. There is differentiation. Not everybody's getting the same thing. There is some flexibility here. However, that differentiation is being offered within the arcade itself, to go back to my previous analogy there. It's differentiated only in relationship to school goals. So yes, different people can get different things in school in the coach-centered approach, but they're if you follow them back, they're only in relationship to those school goals or the curriculum. And as Brennan was alluding to, wellness, this is a big topic for the counselor-centered approach. And of course, we're not saying that a coach does not value wellness at all. However, in the unhealthiest expression of the coach-centered approach, when we're aiming and striving for maximum achievement and to do the best we can to get into that next hurdle of over that next hurdle of school or you know to open up an opportunity or something like that wellness can be secondary to academic progress and the well-being of a student physically mentally socially can be sacrificed if it helps academic progress i remember i think the last world cup the about four four years ago um the england football team were taken to like a swimming pool and they were doing these kind of like fun kind of swimming kind of games and activities and it was all over the the media and they they had i think they had a wellness expert hired it was the first time they kind of gone down this route and people were torn i mean Nobody was, there wasn't many people saying like, this is ridiculous. Why are they doing this? I think people, we can see the value in these in these professionals in a stressful situation, letting off a bit of steam, having a bit of fun and still maybe having some skills. It doesn't take away from them being able to do their actual job. And they did pretty well in the competition. This wellness thing, again, like you said, you know, it is valued in the, the coach approach, but we're looking at the dark side, the bad side of that approach. And 
in those kind of aspects. It's not. Your wellness can be far, far secondary to your academic progress. If you fall off that track and you're not getting good scores, the aim is to get you back on that track and get you good scores rather than digging into the reasons why, especially if that could potentially derail your entire academic career for six months, a year, two years, while you find out underneath it all, what is that? What, what's going on here? In a counselor-centered approach, the wellness would be prioritized. It would be, okay, we can see that there's something else going on here. doesn't mean you can't have an academic career or pursue academic goals, but if that is causing you to be unwell. We need to look at underlying causes and we need to prioritize your long-term wellness because you're going to be here on this planet living this life far longer than this course and these tests and your wellness is really, really important. And then if we go back to the differentiation approach, we get into something that's a lot more personalized in the counselor-centered approach. Talk about personalized sometimes and a mainstream coach teacher might get nervous because I'm already differentiating the three or four groups how could i possibly do it for everyone well you change the model of teaching and learning so as you move into individual and small group inquiries they need less direct instruction so the differentiation can be much more through the discussions you have you can tweak the resources and things like that you're not doing the same type of lesson. Therefore, you can differentiate and individualize and personalize in different ways. And again, you know, it's this idea of like, when you have to make priorities in hard times, these are where we see the differences. And when push comes to shove in the coach approach, only elements of your personal abilities your personality, uh, your character, only those that are important in relationship to success on the curriculum or success on standardized tests are the thing that matter. You know, you can play some obscure instrument like the theremin. You could be the greatest theremin on the face of the planet, and that's not going to translate into any other acknowledgement, recognition, or success within this kind of arcade of school. So it's a very narrow definition of development that is valued in terms of what is needed and welcomed or even rewarded within school. Yeah, we come up to one of the purposes of school of self-development and it's how that's defined. And so often coach-centered schools will have mission statements that say the child's development is the most important thing and they're, they're going to be all they can be. The unspoken part is, but within our framework, within our rules, within our curriculum. Whereas the counselor-centered approach would say, no, your whole self is welcome. What is meaningful to you? What is meaningful to the community right now, that is what we are going to emphasize. There's no need to have this very narrow approach. We're going to be as broad as we need. We're going to be as holistic as we need. We're going to encompass as many different things as we need to help you find out where you're going and meet those needs. I think that's the, that's the lot really, isn't it? Yeah, we had one more point on our list, but I think we've said it. It's been said many times, many ways. The coach approach emphasizes only what you can do within the curriculum. What is important to the institution? I guess we were talking about what abilities you already have with that last point. I guess the final point, you know, this is the greatest juxtaposition to the counselor approach. What is important to you and of importance to you? If it's not of importance to the curriculum or your success on those standardized tests, doesn't matter. It It is essentially irrelevant within the context of the coach approach school. Yeah. And I think when we look to the circle schools and, and um, unschooling and all of the people that have moved away from the coach centered approach and to an extent, the 
the school that I work in with the inquiry-based approach, it is giving the school more emphasis on what is meaningful to the community and the individual at this moment going forward, short-term, long-term goals. It, it puts the individual within the community back as the most important thing. The reason for being here in this classroom is because this student is going to grow in their own way and that will benefit us local global communities. The argument will be made from the coach center that that's what we're doing, but it certainly jumps out at you a lot more if you're explicitly doing it in a progressive counselor-centered approach where that is the main thing you are doing. So there we have it. Comparison between the unhealthy components of the coach-centered approach. And to quote a probably misquoted Einstein, you can't solve a problem on the same level of consciousness that created it. This is why we see the need for not a bettering of that coach approach, but rather a fundamental shift, a fundamental change towards this new type of schooling, the counselor-centered approach, which then provides answers to some of those problems that came along with that coach-centered approach. And of course, brings its own problems with it. Oh, we will every, get there. We'll get there. We'll so have its day in court. If you're, if you're loving what we say, be careful. If you're hating what we say, just you wait. Um, so yeah, any thoughts and opinions on that from any of you out there, please send them our way. And um, we're going to take ourselves a summer break. Robert, I hope you have a good one. Thank you, Brennan. Bye. <laughs>